Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Welcome to another episode of On The Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Adi Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On today's edition, the Champions League draw cock-up. Who are the winners and who are the losers? I'll also be asking Andy and David whether you could make it up. Also, it might be winter in Barcelona, but it's springtime in Sevilla and in Betis. We're talking about the history and football culture of these two giants of Spanish football who are doing so well at the moment. And I thought the Bundesliga was all Vorsprung technique. Then how come German coaches are falling apart? Andy, first of all, am I the only person who received the memo? Go on. It's Jesus's birthday. Come on, how come you not address as if it's a funeral? <laughs> you know, that's often overlooked by the magnificence and the pomp and the ceremony of the Champions League draw. A draw that was so good that, uh, of course, they had to hold it twice in the end. Indeed. Well, if it's that nice, they held it twice. It, that's the reason, isn't it, David, to this uh, Champions League uh, VAR regurgitation? Yeah, I was going to say it was just. I feel like we've been waiting for this for years in a, in a big draw. <laughs> what for the know? cock up? Just, oh, right. just a cock up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just great to see because you know there's so many draws that take place that have this uh, you know a lot of nonsense before they actually take place and people coming out and all this prestige and such. So to see a good, genuine cock up and people with real egg on their faces having to run around scrambling trying to get things right was I, th- I thought it was quite fun to be honest with you. For those who didn't see the cock-up, would you describe it, David? What happened? Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. A lot of it centred around Man United, really, and uh, in in terms of their ball, and it was it was it was hilarious because the actual screen, uh, the the camera shot that uh, was on, you, you could clearly see that Man United's uh, ball was still in the pot, and um, it just it didn't come out, sort of thing. And uh, yeah, and people were expecting 
them to get drawn against somebody. And then when they came out against, you know, somebody who they'd already faced, you could clearly see everything unraveling. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, a, again, it was just a sight to behold, really. Andy, could you make that up? Because it sounds like the kind of perfect movie plot. It, it does, doesn't it? I, I particularly like the cover of Abola in Portugal the following day because it said Bronca dos Campeões, which means champions agro. And it had a, a, a bit divided in four. Um, and you had a black and white of uh, Karen Benzema with a colour photo of Sebastian Aller next to it because, of course, Benfica started off thinking they were playing Real Madrid and then it ended up being um, uh, Ajax. And then you had a similar one, a black and white Federico Chiesa, which I'm sure you would have loved knowing you're his biggest fan, Dotton, next to a colour photo of the one and only Bernardo Silva for, for, for sporting. So th- the way that there was more of, more of a focus on what had gone wrong than actually the draw itself. The draw itself was almost more of a footnote. I thought it was quite nice. And it, it puts it in a good perspective, I think, as well, because we spend a lot of time discussing what the Champions League draw means, um, how it affects teams' chances. But the fact is, so much can change in these two months. This is a very particular draw uh, um, amongst major competition draws because the bit between when the group stage ends and when the last 16 starts... You've got the winter break, you've got the prospect of injuries, you've got form, you've got a whole transfer market to to happen. And um, with Chelsea playing Lille, for example, there's been a lot of discussion in France over what sort of team Lille will actually put out. Because uh, Renato Sanchez, who would have been sold if he hadn't been injured at the last transfer deadline, he's expected to stay this winter. But that might not be the same for Sven Botman, who's um, the Dutch centre-back, who's coveted by Newcastle United, amongst others. Uh, Jonathan Ikone, who Fiorentina are trying to buy at the, at the moment. Um, and I suspect there will be a few other suitors for him as, as well. So, so much could turn around then. And, um, you know, clubs that we don't believe are genuinely in the mix to to go and win it. I think Manchester United are, are, are probably one of those. I think they should be fairly happy with their draw against Atletico, but who knows what Atletico can do in the next two months because they've got a lot of improvement to to do. But, you know, it's, it's, it's possible that it could happen, David, because they have got the, the raw materials. Yeah, I think so. And, um, I mean, we'll go on to Atleti later in the show, but... I think there's been a considerable downturn there this season. And um, I think there's a bit of a buzz around Man United as well. Um, The way that, you know, things have changed there. I think that will carry them well. Um, And yeah, yeah, I completely agree with Andy. I think they should be, uh, you know, looking at that tie. um, They shouldn't be too daunted. Yes, but Letty have got that that history there in the Champions League and the way that they turn up in these uh, two-legged ties. But yeah, I'd, I'd still be confident if I was uh, Man United winning that one. So Man United uh, benefited, you could argue, from the cock-up. Uh, which other teams benefited and which other teams haven't benefited? Because isn't it Real Madrid who says, we'll see you in court over this already? Well, they're, they're litigious. That's what they do, isn't it? And of course, it was the Spanish clubs who were at the heart of this draw being redone because Atletico and Villarreal both complained um, about what happened and that I think made the difference between it being the sort of mistake where you thought I can't believe that just happened 
to one where something was actually done about it. The fact that the clubs came out and and, and had a word. I, I do think the the best tie to have, have been disappeared was Inter versus Ajax. Now I, I think Inter versus Liverpool will be will be fun, and I, I think is. Liverpool has done the worst out of this to answer your question, Dotton. I, I, I think it's really, really tough on them because for United, I think playing PSG or Atletico, they both look monstrously difficult on paper, but are both doable, I think. Um, Inter, of well, it's going to be absolutely goalmongers for a start because the only team who've scored more goals than Inter in the top five leagues um, at, at the time of recording is, is, is Liverpool. So... I do feel a little bit cheated out of Inter versus Ajax, though. I just think it would have been absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a it's a tough one for Benfica, I think, having to having to face Ajax, and especially with that first leg at home. Now, as we know, away goals don't count anymore, but a hallmark of Ajax is how incredibly adventurous they are on the road, especially at these historically amazing destinations, and. You know, Benfica might not be 1961, 1962 Benfica, but Stadio de Luz is still an amazing place to play football and you get a full sense of the grandeur of the club and everything when when you arrive. But yeah, I'm still a little bit in mourning for Inter versus Ajax because I, I think it would have been absolutely spectacular. Do you know, it's always, it never ceases to amaze me, David, how uh, footballing culture permeates over generations. Because Andy is right. I never thought of Inter versus Ajax in that way. But once he says it, it is mouth-watering, partly because of the way Dutch football teams set themselves out in a kind of, and it's not quite, but an expansive way, in a kind of total football way, you know there's going to be attacks all over the place when a Dutch team arrives. And if you put, pitch them up against a team like Inter, well, from the neutral point of view, that would have been a cracking contest. Yeah, absolutely. I think Ajax are always going to be the, the neutral team. Um, people do have that uh, view of them, uh, you know, that through the, you know, some glasses of, you know, nostalgia, I think, you know, looking back at previous teams and such and players that they've produced. And I think the whole, um, you know, the philosophy that they have of players come from their youth academy and such as well, it has huge appeal. And uh, like you say, it's, the, it's the, the way they set up and the way they go out is is always exciting. I think you always know it's going to be a good game no matter who they are uh, facing. And I, I think... Um... Paris Saint-Germain versus Real Madrid is obviously the one that's got the greatest magnitude, I think, of, mm. of, of anything in there, certainly um, excluding the, the, the English clubs. Um, it's absolutely fascinating because uh, I, th I think PSG will look at this and think this is harder than Manchester United. Um, one, because Manchester United are coming from a further point back and, and two, because... Real Madrid have been an enhanced version of the results machine they were under Zinedine Zidane. I mean, I don't know about you, David, but I feel that of these two clubs, given that they're two mega clubs who are among the favourites for this at the start of every season, I think in terms of how tight, how organised, how focused they are, even if the individual players are comparable, I, I can't really think of too many two teams in this draw that are more polar opposites, really, than PSG and Real Madrid. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if you look at um, the way 
I don't know, Real Madrid's identity is already that. It's like Carlo Ancelotti came back to the club and just picked up from where he left off. And he continued that everybody knew how he was going to set up and the players, you know, knew all about him and his personality and his coaching style. And if you look at the way that they play as a unit, I think it's very, very cohesive. It's very, very, you know, I think they're very, very clear in their ideas and such. Um, PSG, I think, are the complete opposite of that. They still look like a team finding their feet under their under Pochettino. Um they, I think they look disillusioned sometimes. I'd even go as far to say, yeah. um, at, at how things are. I think when I watch PSG, I get the impression that like, oh, you can almost see it on the faces of the players, like it, this should be better than this, but we're just playing <laughs> like this at the moment. You can almost see it etched on their faces. We're all thinking it, watching it, but um, you can also see it at the players as well. It, why they make such hard work of certain things. I don't understand. I know that David Moyes is an exception to the rule, but I can never understand why coaches are allowed to go back to the scene of their previous crimes <laughs> because it feels like they're it feels like they're going back in time. And of course, football always moves forward; it's so organic. And when you look at these uh, European football ties, normally you'd think Barcelona versus Napoli was a Champions League tie, but it's the Europa league tie now that is mouth-watering for me even though it's Europa League I wonder whether you, you know we'll, we'll it won't be quite as good as if this was Champions League Do you know what I mean they're, obviously they're not in the big league however the tie will it be the same will it be as if they were in the Champions League you know I think it might actually be the opposite I think that you know I think there might be a bit I feel a bit more freedom in the Europa League not in the big spotlight, not under the big Champions League sort of pressure, the, the music hitting and such like that. I think they might feel a bit more at ease and I think it might create a bit more of a, you know, a game without any caginess. I think it could be really entertaining. I think the whole Europa League draw is sensational. I, I really, mm. really do. There's so many ties that you can pick out of there um, that could be absolute stormers and that's certainly one, uh, one of them. Yeah, and I, I think it's, talking of, exactly when these ties happen as we were before um barcelona are, are clearly in a huge state of flux but napoli are in not great nick as they're probably at the worst part of their season as 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 the the, the balls come out of the pot eventually but I, I think they will be in a better place by the time this comes out i can't imagine what victor Ozyman is is going to do to Barcelona's defence. I, I, I really can't. I mean, you, you kind of look at it and you assume that, well, Xavi's got a project. It's clearly going to be better by the time we get to February. But will it be better enough, I suppose, is, is, is the question. Because it feels like it's going to be really, really gradual under him. Now, Napoli have overachieved so far, but their recent dip has been to do with very transient issues of injury. Uh, and you know their, their, their squad's really been decimated. Whereas you would assume they'll have they'll have turned that around by by February. It looks super difficult for for Barcelona. But David's right. The the whole round of Europa League draws looks looks great. And I think the fact that you know what's the best gift you can give a footballer, and it's probably it's probably a day off in the last year and a half, isn't it? And you know that's what you're getting for finishing first in your Europa League group. It's always sunny in Sevilla. That is my experience, but then I was only there for a weekend. Uh, is it? 
football-wise, always sunny in Sevilla, or at least currently? Yeah, at the moment, it's extremely, uh, extremely sunny. Um, Sevilla's uh, essentially on top, um, having two teams in the, the top four at the moment in La Liga. Um, and they're both, yeah, they're both looking... The football they're playing is, uh, you know, very, again, very impressive as well. They're not just there by chance. Um, and I think it is good for the area um, because Spanish football has been dominated by, you know, Madrid and, and Barcelona and teams from there the last few years. Um, so to have uh, their day in the sun as such, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really good to see. Um, and, you know, it's, I think usually when you look at the two of them, Sevilla are always, you know, top six, top five, always battling around there. But Betis are always a, the kind of a, a calamity club, as it were. They're either, you know, mid-table or even further down. They sometimes conspire to get involved in a relegation battles somehow, even even though they've had an exciting summer when they brought in some interesting players and such. And, that. and you know, anticipation's high to see them, but they regularly fail to impress. Um, and... I think to see them up there now and, and conf- the confidence is really, really high with Betis. And uh, I think they've got the title manager that the, the club really, really needed um, you know, at this moment. David, we've got a tweet from Wazim who says, last season on OTC, you said football had moved past Manuel Pellegrini. It's not meant to challenge you, by the way, he says. Although I'm challenging you, not Wazim. This is not meant to challenge David as I enjoy his analysis. I just wanted to know if he thinks Pellegrini has evolved or is the Chilean success with Betis actually an indictment of coaching standards in La Liga? I think Pellegrini's experience coming through. I think at one point it did look like it was hindering them in terms of his style and what he was playing. Um, but I think from a personality-wise um, point of view, that has really, really got across to the players. You look at the players speaking now and they speak of a kind of a, a calm and thoughtful influence that he has in the dressing room, even in, uh, you know, times of, you know, when they're struggling in games or they're perhaps not playing their stuff yet. He's very, very calm with them. And uh, I think that comes across really, really well. He's uh, he's kind of that presence, uh, presence sorry, and um, I think that's impacted them uh, significantly because they, they were struggling at one point. I remember last time I was on the podcast discussing uh, Betis, they were going through a bit of a bad patch. Um, they've rolled that out really, really well, though, and uh, come together. And, and now they really look like a serious side. What's remarkable to me, though, is that, that the fact that when we think of the Sevilla that first started really succeeding in, in, in Europe, um, coming close to uh, winning La Liga, of course, in, in the days of uh, Juan de Ramos and, and Dani Alves. We think of a really swashbuckling side. And so many of the great Sevilla sides that we can think of over the last 15 years, um, those uh, UEFA Cup slash Europa League winning sides, you think of front foot and you think of, you know how people talk about the British weather having an influence on the way that football's played, even down to Hackney Marshes, you know, if in doubt, kick it out. And especially on a windy day and all that sort of stuff. I feel that that sort of fervor is, is part of the city. You know, the, the, the way that football is played there tends to be, and especially those severe sides tend to be quite, quite sort of feverish 
and it, it, it fit perfectly. Whereas what I find interesting now, David, is the fact that if there's a team that play in that way, it's Betis. Betis are the, 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 the team who play the more exciting football. Now, Sevilla are rattlingly competent. And if there's anything that's going to keep them up there in those Champions League places, and I personally think there's no chance of them falling out of the top four, mm. it's the best defence in La Liga now, which surpasses Atletico's defence. They don't give anything away. And I, I know you've talked about Lopetegui as being maybe even a, a bit of an overcautious coach in, in, in the past, and maybe this will stop them from going on to the next level and being a genuine title contender. But Betis are amazing to watch. When... when Nabil Fekir's in his bag. He's one of the best players to watch in La Liga. Sergio Canales has finally found the spot that he always should have been in. He's obviously had some uh, some moves that didn't work out for him, particularly the move to Real Madrid, which was probably too much too soon after leaving Rathing. And he's had his injuries too. Um, but Canales signed his new contract there this week. There is a lot to be excited about in this Betis side. And, you know, they're... they're quite juxtaposed in terms of style yeah I mean on Canales I'd actually go as far to say um, I've been watching La Liga a long time I'd probably say he's been one, in the last five years at least he's been one of the most underrated players in the league and you could go as far as to say in Europe as well um, I think if you look at the influence that he has it's it's quite remarkable um, I read a start there's only uh, Luis Alberto um, um, the only other Spanish player to have created more chances in the top five European leagues than Canales um, mm. since the 2018-2019 season. Um, 220 chances uh, he's created, which is quite remarkable um, because Betis, like we say, they, they haven't been a top side. They haven't been a, a side at the, right at the top of the league constant, consistently. So for him to be constantly that presence is quite remarkable. Um, you know, he, he had those two ACL injuries. Um, I remember listening to a... He was, he's, I think it was after the second one, his father um, was on Spanish radio and he was saying, oh, my, my son's on the couch, he's, he's, he's broken, he's crying, he can't believe this has happened again. Because he just kind of got things back together, he, and this was when he was at Valencia, and he just kind of started patching his career back together after that ill-fated Real Madrid move. Because, um, he obviously emerged on the scene as a, this, this brilliant teenager, bright teenager, um, and there was huge, huge hype around him he went to Real Madrid he suffered bad injuries bad loss of form he didn't really fit in there and then it, it didn't wasn't until Valencia there was a few glimpses of his talent there but it wasn't until I think he went to Real Sociedad he kind of re-energized himself he got his fitness levels back up to an incredible level I'd go as far as to say he's one of the fittest players in the league now as well which is quite remarkable for a player who's had two ACL injuries um, and, and he's been very much the heartbeat of all this with Betis over the years. And then now he's finally in a, a very, very good team, a very, very good Betis team, and he's thriving evermore. It also helps as well that Nabil Fekir is taking the pressure off him in that sense. Um, who, and, and Andy, me and Andy's waxed lyrical for a number of years about Fekir. <laughs> and he's just a, an absolute remarkable, remarkable player, technical quality. Um, his vision of the game, his intel intelligence is, is is incredible. It's you know there's not many players on his level in any of the leagues in in Europe on his day. He's 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 very very hard to shut down. He's that smart. He's that quick in the way that um, he thinks on the field, um, and he's been vital as well. Um, you know the talismanic type presence there. 
and it's all coming together and it and it really really helps when you have these two absolutely really really superbly gifted players in Canales and Fekir. Isn't it the case with the uh, Spanish top league, La Liga, that just like in the Premier League, that these teams that are um, punching above their weight, if, if, if that's the way that we can talk certainly about Betis, if not Sevilla, uh, eventually they will run out of steam. As seems to be the way with uh, West Ham just the other day. We we don't know that for sure. But, you, you know, I'm making a comparison here because they don't have the depth of squads and they don't have the money to sustain. It needs a bit of cash, doesn't it, to sustain yourself at the top for an entire season. But less, I think, um, that the, the sort of money there is in the Premier League is on, on, on a different level. And I think what's difficult there is breaking into the top four is is one thing in England breaking into the top six is is something else entirely and that's why I don't know even though Leicester for example have missed out on the Champions League really late in the last couple of seasons to be in the mix for it in the first place is is amazing whereas I think because Barcelona have had the difficulties they are and let's be clear they're definitely not making the top four this season um then you look at still um, can't get used to hearing that you know i, I know well we're going to say it a few more it? times for the end of the season <laughs> there's no doubt about it and then you think of um atletico and their difficulties you look at real madrid who just by being sensible and consistent have, have built themselves a sizable lead at, at, at the top of La Liga it means there is more opportunity for Sevilla like I said I, I can't see any way they don't make the top four I think this is a great opportunity for for, for Betis um, Real Sociedad have to be in the mix as well they've, they've, they've had their little dip recently and um, how well they did in the first half this season um, leading the table when they had a, a load of players out was extraordinary but because there have been greater financial difficulties for the very biggest clubs in La Liga. It's more open. Uh, and I think that makes an enormous difference and it's going to make the race for the top four super exciting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. We're Not Fucking Historians is the show all about Irish history, where Shane Todd and Hazel Hayes bring you a few facts and plenty of crack. This month saw their most important episode yet, the history of Ireland's favourite malty beverage. That's where he's got the brewery, St. James's Gate. He took out a 9,000-year lease. In the year 10,000, that's going to be a sad day for Guinness when they're booted out. <laughs> 10,759 AD. Heineken just come in and finally we've got it. <laughs> On Tuesday, they're reflecting on their own festive traditions and a few things you might not know about the Emerald Isle's Christmas connections. There is apparently mounting evidence that St. Nicholas of Myra, who inspired the legend of Santa, is buried in County Kilkenny. It's actually on private land. <laughs> so they don't allow visitors. Don't, I don't think it's a great one to sell the kids. Can we go to Disneyland? <laughs> no, come on, I'll take you to where Santa's buried. <laughs> So come on in and get involved. Search We're Not Historians. That's We're Not Historians wherever you get your podcasts. We're Not Fucking Historians is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Now, whenever you talk about the European leagues, I think maybe it's a hype of the way things are done in Germany, but you always expect that, you know... um, UEFA might cock up the Champions League draw, but the Germans, nah. Their teams and their leagues are well run. They don't cock things up. Is that still the case, given uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach's uh, recent fortunes, Andy? Dotton, it's like the myth about trains never being late in Germany. I thought that was Italy. I thought it was Mussolini that made the trains run on time. Well, was it the other fascist? Well, no, I think I think people talk about modern German trains as, as, as never being late, which is uh, patently untrue if you've spent any any, any time in, in in Germany. It's, I think this season was always going to be a bit volatile on on the coaching front because if you go back to the summer or before the start of the summer, because Germany being Germany and them loving a bit of advanced preparation in the Bundesliga, you know, there were coaches for this season appointed last season. Remember when Julian Nagelsmann was appointed to Leipzig, it was announced a year before he actually moved um, due to um, a clause in his contract. But if you go back to the start of this season, when of last season's top eight, seven of them have new coaches, there was always potential for something to go really awry. Now, in terms of Wolfsburg and Leipzig, two of the Champions League qualifiers, something has already because Mark van Bommel um, got the push first from Wolfsburg and was replaced by Florian Kohfeldt. And um, the sporting director, Jörg Schmatke, last weekend was saying, um, we made a huge mistake he actually said we made a huge mistake um, appointing Van Bommel and uh, Florian Kofeld is um, paying for stuff that has nothing to do with him at the moment. Of course, um, Wolfsburg have lost their last five games in a row, including an exit from the Champions League. Then you look at Leipzig and their difficulties under Jesse Marsh, who I think everyone assumed coming from the Red Bull family would do well. Um, He also left, replaced by... Domenico Tedesco, who's had a, a, a decent start. 
And then you look at Borussia Mönchengladbach, a team who, I guess, we were talking about teams who had the opportunity to push into the top four in La Liga. Mönchengladbach feel like they're in that sort of range. You know, they're um, a well-run club on the whole, um, good recruitment, stability with the sporting director, Max Ebel, having been there for a while. They spent big to get a coach um, to replace Marco Rosa after we went to Borussia Dortmund. Um, they brought in Adi Hütter from Eintracht Frankfurt, where he'd done a, a brilliant job, got them to um, the brink of the Champions League, got them to the brink of um, a Europa League final, going back to when they were edged out by Chelsea in, in, in 2019. And um, they paid a lot of money to get in Adi Hütter from, uh, from Frankfurt. Seven and a half million euros of buyout clause, which is expensive for a manager is even more expensive for a manager slash head coach when um, you're mentioning Gladbach and you, you haven't got um, a bottomless pit of money. Now, they have had more than a blip recently. They're expecting attacking football because you look at what Huta has, has done at Young Boys in Switzerland and what he did at, at Frankfurt, uh, mainly built around in his first season, that fantastic um, front trio of uh, Rebic, Sebastian Haller and, and, and Lukijovic. And he rebuilt a, a very good second um, good team there, which I, I think is, is super impressive. But he's found it difficult so far. And recently, we talked about them wanting to attack. They've lost these four in a row, including the 3-2 defeat at home to Eintracht Frankfurt this week. And um, in those four games, they've conceded 17 goals. I mean, that is just an absolutely unsustainable way and it could have been more really um they're just so disorganized at the back and Ebel didn't want to hear about any um scurrilous chat about the coach a couple of weeks ago and now last weekend um when they lost 4-1 at Leipzig he said well yeah the people have got to question the coach they've got to question me as well but that was just a way of softening the blow that he'd moved to saying the coach has to be questioned. So, I mean, we've, we've talked about difficult starts to the season for Leipzig, for Wolfsburg. I, I mean, if, if Gladbach are thinking about a change, it could be quite a costly change as well, especially with the money they've spent on Hooter. That makes me think that they, they won't do it. I think the, the, mm. the sheer amount of money that they'll probably get a little bit more time than a, 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 a normal coach would get, I think. Uh, it's Quite an eye water and some. I think it was what seven point five million was it? Seven seven million? Yeah, a bit. yeah, yeah. Which is quite a lot, I think, um, for a club that you'd not say is a, a top top club in in Europe. You know, one of the one of the major clubs. I thought that was quite a lot of money. Um, I thought it was quite pointed as well. And Ebel's words, um, he was uh, kind of saying it's a bit of a, you know, it's a, a psychological one um, with the, the the players that you know they're, they're just not doing. Um, what they were doing so well before. I mean, well, it was only a month. Was it a month and a half ago they they beat Bayern in the cup. They also started yeah, five the nil. Yeah. yeah, five nil. Yeah, yeah, and they drew with them on the opening day of the season as well, one one. So they were obviously doing things well at one point, and they have. I guess then it is up to the coach to kind of maintain that. You don't just switch off. You don't just go. All oh, right, we've we've shown like we're pretty decent, you know. And I think there's. That's going to be the hill to get across. If he can, if, if he, Huda can still get the players to buy into his style and his philosophy, 
And I think he's going to get the time to do it. It's going to be a case of whether the players, you know, believe in in him enough and in his philosophy. You know, there there is a tweet, and just before I go on to this tweet, I, I wonder if you could include this in the answer as well, because it speaks to what the tweet says. As as you're saying, as you're saying, David, you know, you go back, uh, well, certainly go back to the previous two seasons. And you're looking at very different fortunes for Munchen Gladbach. And that's what Moonman on Twitter says. What has happened to Munchen Gladbach? Were the past two to three seasons flukes, or is it a particularly bad year for them? Poison chalice of the Champions League, perhaps. Perhaps. That's the tweet. But remember, you've just been talking about the coach. You know, both you and Andy have been talking about, uh, you know, is the coach to blame? And often enough, we see these coaches who are scratching their heads as the match is going on, you know, and they themselves are kind of like, is this the same team that I was coaching a couple of seasons ago that were punching above its weight or in the Champions League and everything like that? They're scratching their heads, even though you're analysing it rightfully and saying this is what the coach should do and will he be given enough, uh, enough time to get his philosophy through? But actually, arguably, he got his philosophy through, but it's not working and... He's scratching his head, and I, I think know, there are two no. issues here. Really, I, I think um, Hutter trying to get across new ideas is, is is one thing. The second one is the atmosphere created around the club by Marco Rosa's departure, because um, the fans. Well, we officially knew he was going as, uh, in in February when they were in a little bit of a dip, and it snowballed into like a near crisis of results. It saw them out of Champions League contention and in the end they missed Europe altogether. And the bad feeling created around that, I think, made a huge difference to the dynamic of the club um, who'd really been heading upwards at that point. The other but, big But thing, you can't blame the results they're having now on that, can you, Andy? Yeah, I think, I think you can. I think you can. I think the fact that they missed Europe altogether really changes the feeling around the club, that they're not involved in that sort of level of competition in, in the week. Now, you might say, on one hand, it gives Huta more of a chance to work with the players in the week. You know, and time is so precious at, at the top level. But in terms of attracting players, it's an issue. In terms of the players feeling this club is going in the right direction, it's an issue. The other thing is when you go back halfway through last season is what happened to Marcus Turam when there was that, banned for for spitting um which was just a shocking incident really um and um he, he missed a, a period of time for that he struggled with injury bear in mind turam is a terrific striker he works his nuts off even when he's not scoring he creates for others he's been out of form for a long time now and he's such a good player that it's done two things it's firstly been an enormous loss to them and bear in mind Alisson players not been at his, his, his best either and also it's it, it's sort of stymied their efforts to, to to sell him for top dollar as well because I feel pretty sure if the spitting ban had never happened if one of the ankle injuries had never happened he'd be playing in the Premier League now for one of the best clubs in it you know he's such a good player and I think he can go on still to become a great player from for France as well and, and, and a useful player for, for, for their squad. 
but he has to get past this last year, just like Gladbach in general, I think, have to get past this last year. Are Bayern's potential competitors still uh, shooting themselves in the foot at the moment because they could have uh, taken advantage, couldn't they? I think it's I think Bayern get a rough ride out of uh, all the big clubs because I think people look at them, what they do in the Bundesliga, dominated in the way that they do, snap up the talent in the way that they do. Um, there's a lot of money that goes around that league that is generated, especially amongst those uh, teams who are chasing them. And I think there's a great deal of responsibility on them to close the gap on Bayern. And they don't do that. They do exactly what you just said in terms of shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, I think they let themselves down a lot. Um, I don't think they create or sustain enough of a challenge um, to, to scare Bayern. And then I think in turn, it then makes Bayern look like the bad guys, that their success gets played down. Uh, you know, whether it be them winning the Bundesliga or Lewandowski scoring as many as he does. Um, and in turn, it, it, it's, a, it's a really, really bad knock on, on the league as a whole. I think the other teams have really, really got to step up. Um, it's bad business. It's not good business. Yeah, I mean... yeah, exactly. And, 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 and Dortmund's a, a, a fantastic example and, and what's going on there. Leipzig have, have obviously already gotten rid of their coach, what they brought in. So it's on those clubs to get things right and mount a, a, a real challenge to Bayern. So uh, this is the last OTC for this year. Uh, we're going off on our holes, of course. And by the way, you can tweet us right uh, through the holiday period. You can tweet at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ibile, at Andy Brassel, at David Jacker. J-A-C-A. And look, one of the... My, my favourite of the tweets that we get on a regular basis are always the ones that actually make a statement. Not necessarily ask a question, make a statement that we can go off and deliberate ourselves. Because, of course, many of our listeners are as clued up as we are, as we know to our cost every time we slip up on something, however idiosyncratic. So... I'm going to ask you for your games of the week in a moment, but let's answer this. It is a question, but we can uh, deliberate it beyond the question. Uh, this is from James. It says, at what point do Ajax need to be taken seriously as Champions League contenders? And earlier on, Andy, you know, David was talking about if that... Uh, fixture had happened uh, between, oh, you know, the prospect of a fixture happening between uh, Inter and Ajax would have been a mouth-watering prospect in any league. That's not going to happen. It's going to be Ajax and um, Ligia Bouba, of course, Benfica. But once upon a time, we would have taken Ajax seriously as Champions League contenders. We would have. You know, Ajax is one of the historically iconic names of what was previously the European Cup. And I know that the Dutch League ain't what it was, but, or, or arguably other leagues have surpassed it. But nevertheless, Ajax, the history there of the club, at what point do we start saying, no, they could win this thing? I, th I think we start saying that now. And I, I think if you've watched not just the results, of course, the first Dutch club to win six out of six in the group stage, 
just the manner of the performances has been remarkable. The way they put away Dortmund twice, which completely knocked the stuffing out of Dortmund. Bear in mind, uh, Marco Rosa and company won their first two games in this Champions League group and were out by the end of match day five. That's how much Ajax ruined them in those two games. And, uh, you know, they went to Sporting, won 5-1 on the opening day. And uh, Sporting and Ruben Amorim, their brilliant young coach, who I think will actually give Manchester City a game. Um, they attracted a lot of criticism for that. But I think in perspective, you think their first game back in the Champions League for for a decade plus and um, playing Ajax, uh, I think, explains it all because Ajax are fantastic. It's not just about the history, it's about the here and now. And I think it's, it's wrong to jump to too many conclusions from the group stage, but they are potentially a better side than the one that nearly got to the final in 2019. The experienced players are magnificent. Uh, and I think you look at Tadic, who's still great. Uh, Daily Blint is, is, is very useful. Um, but the quality of the younger players, and Sebastian Aller, of course, but the quality of the younger players is, 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 is something else too. I think Anthony has been the star for them so far in the, in, in the group stage. He's just a wonderful player. And obviously he's going to step up to an even higher level at this point. Now, now I think the fact that they've got a platform from for them we talked about the winners of the the redone draw not getting into and getting Benfica instead and we know Benfica has spent a lot of money and they've got a good coach in Jorge Jesus and they're not Barcelona out etc etc that is a that is a big deal for Ajax I think this is a tie they get through with some comfort then they're in the quarterfinals and anything is possible especially with the bravery with which they play they're never going to be shrinking violets they're never gonna um retreat or anything like that it's gonna be front foot all the way and also they're gonna be kept sharp by the eredivisie the much maligned i suppose in recent years as you were saying dot and eredivisie because it's, it's not a gimme for them this season psv and final are right in the mix time guys for your games of the week and don't forget it's christmas dinner we want to accompany with this but it's which christmas dinner all over the continent, there'll be different ones. Uh, David, have you got a game of the week first of all for us? Indeed. Um, Saturday, um, we have got at 8pm, Sevilla versus Atletico Madrid. Uh, we've got Sevilla in second place, uh, looking strong against Atletico, who are looking anything but strong. Uh, back-to-back defeats in the league, um, including that really, really sapping derby defeat against Real. Um, and they've got to step up here and get their season back on track because there's a there's a big big danger of of heads dropping i think at Letty and and them really uh, dropping out of the the Champions League places and such in la liga so so yeah i'd say definitely watch that one and we'll come on to what you're going to eat with it in a second andy have you got one for us game of the oh, week yeah i do and a perfectly complimentary one as well it's sunday night uh, for me it's going to be uh, milan versus napoli um They've both had their turn at the top of the table um, before uh, Milan slowing up a little bit. Napoli having a, a tricky old spell of late recently, as, as, as we were saying earlier. Um, I, I think Napoli need to win this to get back in the race. I really, I really do. So the idea of them going there and having to go for it, 
I, I think these are two of the teams who've made Serie A so watchable in, in, in 2021. They've been absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm really optimistic that it'll be a, a, a great game despite those absences for, for Napoli. I also think that you're going to need some sort of turkey accompaniment, aren't you? Because it's that time of year. Oh, it's a bit too early though, mate. My, my, my missus hasn't always, even started stuffing it. Always always get it done on Christmas Eve. That's what I say. It takes a lot of pressure off the, 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 the big day and you get a turkey sandwich on Christmas Eve. But let's suspend disbelief. Let's go for turkey steaks. I think a bit of... Uh, bit of breadcrumbs, bit of turkey milanese would be uh, absolutely perfect for this. Yeah, and what's going to be perfect to go with that game of the week of yours, David? Oh, we've been talking about Sevilla and Betis, you know, and it's it's fiery down there in Andalusia, so I'm going to go for some padron peppers. What's that? Oh, little nice little green peppers, you know, bit of salt oh, yeah. on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get, get well, we're going to eat peppers? Is yeah. that it? Yeah. Trust me, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. And what, what you, David? When you're here, we get a drink to go with it as well. And don't shy out of this one. What will go with those peppers? Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas. Why not? So, thank you for listening to today's episode of On the Continent, and we will be back in January with new episodes. Until then. Have a Merry Christmas, or as we say in Sweden, Ha and Gud Jul. And if our own Lars Sivestam was here, he'd say it with a Norwegian accent, which goes something <laughs> like it went on the Muppets. Have a good Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.